Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5. I have far too much paper today, I apologize. For all of you who are praying for me this last week, as I was away at General Assembly in Memphis, Tennessee, I thank you for praying for me. It was a beneficial time. I'll, I'll share on Wednesday evening, prior to Bible study, uh, a summary of this year's General Assembly and of the things, the decisions that were made uh, and uh, my perspective on it, but uh, it was an encouraging year. Um, so I'll do that via Zoom or in person uh, during Bible study on Wednesday night. Let's hear God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Therefore, I exert, exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Lord, teach us. We ask that you would come and help us. We pray that you would revive us. We pray that you would make us to be a people who live by the word of God alone and not merely by food and our appetites. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are all sorts of church leaders, men and women, who have been used of God in various contexts and who have fallen. Uh, Legesso uh, Daniel is an, uh, an African minister or pastor. I would say this morning that he most likely is not a minister, and you'll agree with me in a moment. But he made his congregants eat grass. Um, he made other congregants eat gas uh, or drink gas. Uh, I don't know what either one of those have anything to do with godly leadership, except to show how power-hungry a man is to get individuals to do whatever he pleases. I would encourage anyone who's a part of his church to leave immediately. Or we think of Pastor John Lowe II, who had a sexual relationship with a 16-year-old in his office. Pastor Tavner Smith divorcing his wife because of an affair. There have been plenty in southern New England Presbytery over the years. Marital infidelity, churches oppressed by tyrants or the self-serving, the autocrats. Pastor who fails to rebuke sin, who refuses to speak up against idolatry or false doctrine, is as much a failure as one who embraces a life of sin and falls from a great moral height. Well, Peter's speaking to all leaders today, and that doesn't just leave all the rest of you who are non-leaders out, but he has all of us in view. He pulls all of us into this conversation by the last two verses, and I exhort you, therefore, to hang with me, uh, to hold fast and hold on, and you'll see that much of what he says to leaders ultimately will come to rest 
upon our own heads and require of us similar behavior. But Peter speaks to all of us here. The therefore that he uses in verse 1 of chapter 5, therefore I exhort the elders among you. What does that hearken back to? I think it harkens all the way back to chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who suffers in the flesh has ceased from sin. So Christ's perspective on sin and on suffering should mark our position of leadership and our roles within the church. More than that, I think it hikes all the way back to, harkens all the way back to, to chapter 1 and the earlier descriptions of believers. Uh, exiles, aliens, uh, elect persons. So Peter is seeking to motivate such persons as we ourselves are. But I think it also harkens back to chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. What does it mean to do what is right? Well, one of the responses of those who want to do right before God, who want to serve God and to entrust ourselves to God, we serve God. We live for service. We, we, we jump in where God says, is there someone who is willing to go and to lead my sheep? And we say, yes, Lord, send me. Like Isaiah did. Isn't it true that all of us are called in some way in service to God, that we are to use our gifts in his service? Isn't it true that we say that God has loved us and therefore we love him? And it is. And if God were to speak to us specifically and, and, and verbally and, and to say to us audibly with the hearing of our own ears, that if God was saying, look, I'm calling you into this area of service, into this calling, would we not say, Lord, speak, your, your servant hears Samuel did. Well, when God speaks in his word and through his spokesperson, God is speaking to his church. And so we need to hear in this passage today the calling of God, the Holy Spirit, to greater faithfulness in service and a willingness to serve the Lord. He speaks to three groups here in this passage, elders then younger men, and then all of us. And that's our outline this morning. First, elders. He uses a very strong word, and that is exhortation. And when the elders come and they want to exhort you about something, uh, then you know that if they say, look, we're going to come this next Sunday, uh, having agreed upon a meeting in time, not, 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 not imposing that upon you, but say, are you able to meet? Yes, okay, well, We'd love to come and exhort you about something. Well, that should give us just a little bit of discomfort right here in our chest. We think, what do I need to be gotten after about? Well, that's not what Peter is doing here this morning. He's simply exhorting with the strongest possible terms, with the strongest possible words. It's a strong command. It's an energetic expectation. And so Peter is saying, I exhort you. In other words, I strongly encourage you. Well, that's strong language. If we have an instructor or a teacher and they're speaking before the class and they say, I strongly encourage you to take good notes. Wouldn't we want to take notes? Well, yes, we would. 
If we're working for someone and they say, look, you know, I'm glad you're doing the work, but I strongly encourage you, don't touch the door over by the kitchen. Well, we're not going to touch that door. If we say, well, I have a very large dog in the backyard, I strongly encourage you, don't go in my backyard. (laughs) Who's going to go ahead and do it? I'm not. We won't go in the backyard. See, maybe children, maybe small, young, immature children would say, uh, it's a great idea, I'm going to go in the backyard. But, but adults who understand the significance of language and when someone, another adult, strongly encourages us, we take it to heart. And so Peter is strongly, energetically exhorting and commanding with an expectation that he will be heard. And the, and, and the, what he does as he utters that exhortation is he clarifies his own standing. In other words, if I'm to come to you and say, I think you really need to make a, a, a different decision about this very important decision you've made. Well, if I come in my capacity as merely Stephen, Lavalley, well, then that may mean something to you, but it may not. But if I come and say, look, here is the word of God. I've got it with me. And this is what the word of God says. And in light of that word, I strongly encourage you to rethink that decision you've made. Well, now you're dealing with something a little differently. Because I'm coming in my capacity as a pastor, not as someone who can lord it over you, but as someone who rightly, hopefully, and in the spirit of God, divides the word of truth. And is speaking for the Lord over a significant area in your life. And it's something that you should do well to hear. Well, Peter Peter authenticates his own role as a spokesman for Christ. There is, he clarifies, I'm your fellow elder. I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He was there. He saw Jesus on the cross. He saw his body taken down. He saw the empty grave. But more than that, he saw a life, three years of service, of willingness despite exhaustion to minister to the to the poor and the hungry, even when he was at a point of being completely overwhelmed and ready for rest, when 5,000 would show up at his door, he would, not his door, but at his rock uh, out in the wilderness somewhere, he would break bread and he would divide the fish and give it to them. He knew what it was to serve despite exhaustion, being worn out. He knew what it was to spend himself and spend himself and spend himself and spend himself. And he didn't stop. And he didn't say, look, I need some me time. I need some time away. I need a vacation from all of this. I don't recall ever Jesus going out to the the Mediterranean coast for a vacation for a couple of weeks. That's not to say that our vacations are foolish or bad, but I do think we overindulge ourselves to the point of sometimes laziness rather than service rather than serving the living God. So Peter says, I've seen all these things. I'm also a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. In other words, of the glory that he's been speaking about in the last chapter that we have an expectation of in future developments when Christ comes again in the clouds and he takes us home in glory with him and the new heavens and the new earth come down and the, the heavenly city comes and rests upon the new earth. And we enter into the glory of the Lord. He says, look, I'll be there too. I'm certain I'll be there as well. So in light of that fact, in light of these credentials, 
You need to hear what I'm saying. In other words, in light of this, consider all that I am about to say to you. And so for these reasons, it is it would be wise to listen to him as a well-qualified representative of God. And so all of us need to hear him. If you're exercising any kind of Christian leadership, whether that's as mothers and fathers in the home over your children, whether that's as an older man or woman in the church who is a representative example to the children of the congregation, whether that's as a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, an elder, elders are certainly in light uh, in, in the full uh, spotlight of this text this morning, but there is there are other forms of Christian leadership. There are public displays of, of examples that we are all called to. And in fact, Peter brings it all around and says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, which has far-reaching implications in light of what he says to elders. But he's talking to leaders this morning, and he says, you'd be wise to listen. For the reasons that he has outlined. Now he uses a word for elders. I exhort the elders among you. It's presbyter. It's presbyteros. It's it's where we derive our our name, our identity, our our ecclesiality, as our ethos within the church as Presbyterians. We are presbyters. He uses the word episkopos here, or at least a derivative of it, here as well, in shepherd the flock of God among you in verse 2. In the same context, he, he refers to them as elders. He describes their work as episcopal or episcopos. But they are presbyteros. They are presbyters. They're called and elected leaders of Christ's church. They are potential leaders. They are men who have not yet entered into leadership, who have the qualifications and the gifting, and who should be leading, should be serving in that capacity. Men who who know God is calling them to a life of service, and yet who who have dilly-dallied, who have who have lived their lives, squandered their days, uh, squandered their gifts day in, day out for months after years and yet have never taken up the mantle to be a godly person, an example within the congregation, and one who would serve as an elder in the church. And the church badly needs elders. Badly needs elders. And so he says, shepherd the flock. What does this mean, shepherd the flock? Well, Christ, as our great shepherd, what does he do for us? He he protects us from all harmful things. He corrects abuses. He corrects false doctrine and those who are adherents to it. He watches carefully over the sheep and he leaves the 99 to go get the one. And he, he lives amongst the sheep to such an, in, in, to such an intimate degree that they know his voice and he knows them all by name. An elder in the church of God ought to so have a relationship amongst the community of God's people that they know him well and he knows their names. And when they have a a concern or a question, they come to him. He doesn't always have to seek them out, but they come to him. And when they are in need, he's concerned for them. And he carries their concerns and he's burdened for them. Shepherd the flock, encourage the helpless, exhort the hesitant, rebuke the negligent, order the work and worship of the church according to biblical principles. 
make good and unselfish decisions, decisions that are meant for the good of the church. Sacrifice of your own self and of your own time. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm convinced. If I used, if I took all the time that I, I waste and or the time that I'm distracted by things, things that don't have any eternal significance, if I took all of that time, I would be able to pastor five churches or at least pastor this church so much better. I always pray. I'm regularly praying, Lord, teach me a a better stewardship of my time. Lord, help me to be a wise and careful steward of the gifts you've given to me. Help me to serve you better. Help me to serve them better. Help me to care well for your church. And so he says to the shepherds of the flock of God, he says, in three negatives with three affirmative statements following, uh, you shouldn't serve under compulsion. In other words, don't let anyone press you into it. Don't let someone push you and, and compel you to come and be part of it. But rather, you follow the direction of the Holy Spirit of God. What is, and this is a question I think that every man who might consider spiritual leadership as an elder or a deacon or any other person who might be, be willing or, or have some gifting and be able to lead in any capacity within the church ought to be asking Lord God, the Holy Spirit, who has given me gifts and to whom I owe a stewardship of my time, what do you want me to do? What job do you want me to complete? What have you called me to partake of in this church, to participate in and consider my calling as? What does the Lord want me to do? How does the Lord want me to use the time that he has given to me? We know, we we affirm regularly that the time that we are given is not given to us for ourselves and our own personal uh, our own personal priorities but rather for service to God. God has given us the gifting that he has and the timing that he has and and it's all uh, for ultimately the glorification of God that we are to glorify God with our time, our talents, our gifting and we shouldn't do it compulsively. In other words, God's always having to pull that noose around our neck and pull us forward jerking us forward to take another step as we're hesitantly unwilling to serve him. Well, that's ridiculous. And so Peter says, don't don't serve the Lord compulsively. Compulsively could be taken in a different way. There are moments when we really want to serve. I love to serve. I'm willing to do anything. And then we get tired of the minutiae. And we're a little bored. We don't really want to do it anymore because it's hard work. This last week I was at General Assembly and I was eager to go and it was good to see good friends. But that isn't why I went. Why I went was because we were considering very important decisions as a denomination. I'm concerned for the direction of our denomination. I'm so thankful that you as a church sent me. And I sat there each day thinking, oh my gosh, this is, it's hard to sit here. Chairs were uncomfortable. If at one moment either the hall was boiling or it was freezing, one or the other. It was hard to get lunch. You had to walk a half mile to a mile just to find some food. It was very hot and muggy down there. Ten, twelve hours in an assembly hall. And I, I don't like sitting for that long next to people. I just don't. I need space. I want to spread out. I want to stand up. I want to be active. It's the kind of person I am. 
but I didn't consider at any point leaving because they were important votes. They were important things to do. So the only time I left that assembly hall when it was meeting was to go use the restroom. So for three days I sat there and I stayed and I worshiped the Lord in the evenings and we met throughout the days and even at night after worship. And the Lord blessed my time. I will say there's not everything about being an elder or pastor that, that, that I love. Sometimes there are administrative duties that are difficult, that take time. But all of it is Christian service. All of it is what God has called me to, not just the easy stuff or the fun stuff, but also the very difficult things, the burdensome things, the things that make me weep. And I'll tell you, being a shepherd of the flock of Jesus Christ, being an elder amongst the flock is not something we can do under compulsion. We must do it under the under, with the understanding that God has called me to this and we have responded simply by volunteering and saying, yes, Lord, I'll go. Yes, Lord, I'll do what you've called me to do. I'll do what you've gifted me in doing. And I won't raise up obstructions or excuses or say I won't have the time or I don't have the time. Rather, I'll construct my life about, around the reality that I'm called to service. I'm called to serve the Lord and to do something for God. There are programs in our church that need someone to take the ball and run with it. There are things that we need your leadership, your example, your counsel in, not not even as an elder, but someone to take the ball and run with it and help us to discover new ways to do this, that, or the other thing, to evangelize the lost, to offer ministry and care, to take up Sunday schools and to lead them forward. There, There are many positions that are needed within this congregation. You too are included under this same expectation here not under compulsion but voluntarily according to the will of god yes god it is his will for you to serve him it is his will for you to be here for the prayer time on sunday morning so that you might share prayer with your sisters in christ your brothers in christ yes it's god's will for you to be here worshiping him on the lord's day and not letting some other trust intrude Yes, it is God's will that we serve him, that we take up service in the church and amongst the body of Christ. We can't do it for sordid gain either, but with eagerness. I don't know too many other pastors, leaders, or servants within the church of God who are doing it for money. I I really don't. Um, But they're, they're out there. There are many out there who love the power and the money that they get there are some, I, I'm, I'm aware of one particular pastor who has a housing allowance of well over a million, million and a half dollars, just his housing allowance, never mind his salary. And he needs it, he says, and he lives in a mansion. It's a glorious mansion. And what blows my mind is is people never even ask, is this appropriate? Is this right? They just do it. Well, I, I think we can easily see those who are doing, who are serving the church of God for the sake of sordid gain. In other words, unjust enrichment. Uh, they want to get rich off the church. All the health and wealth and prosperity gospel preachers out there are most certainly doing this. You bring in money, support the church. In other words, put money in my pocket. God's going to bless you. God never made that arrangement with him. 
not for sordid gain, not for your own physical enrichment, but with eagerness. In other words, not hesitantly, not grumblingly, not complainingly, not whining and complaining the whole time, but rather saying, I am eager to do the work of God. I am eager to serve the Lord. I am eager to use my gifts for the betterment of the body of Christ. You see, there's a lot of overlap for Christians who are not called to a position of exalted leadership or of upfront kind of leadership, but but nonetheless are leaders who could be leaders and who are not leading. You shouldn't do it either for lording it over people. There are some, they are power hungry, like the man who makes his people eat grass, or Jim Jones-like pastors. They're not really pastors, ultimately. They believe that their people exist for them, and not they for their people. But that's what Peter says. You need to be an example to them. Service and being a presbyter is primarily to be an example to your people, to be an example to the flock of godliness and of service and of being consumed with the love of God in Christ Jesus. I'll tell you this morning, there are three vices of leaders, lust for money, lust for power, and laziness. Don't let those... Don't let those sins rule in your life. But rather, serve the Lord with eagerness. Enter into ministry and service and leadership voluntarily. And ultimately understand that the sum total of your service, that the, the prime apex of your service is so that you would be an example to the body of Christ. This is... Contrasted, this laziness and lust for money and for power is contrasted with a, a willingness to make less money, to live at a lower cost of living than most, uh, to go without quite a bit. Even when the church is struggling, to go without salary and pay. Uh, to live in less than you would if you were in earning an income in a different way, but a life of being in service to and for others and submitting your life to voluntary service under the sense that God has called you to it, and that's what a leader does. That's what a presbyter does. He gives faithfully, serves the Lord. Especially pastors called into full-time ministry. They set apart their lives unto God, and they follow wherever he leads. A A leader is disinterested in himself and is interested greatly in Jesus Christ. He spends himself gladly on behalf of the church of God, And to Christ, he understands that his personal holiness and godly examples are key. Godly example are keys to his progress and to the people under his service and sanctification, and that God's people need that example. This is the opposite of the world. The world says you need to scrape and claw your way to the top, and when you achieve the top, you need to enrich yourself. It's the survival of the fittest. Nice guys finish last. Only the strong survive. Worldly leadership imposes will and power and emotionally makes, pardon me, makes decisions from a completely emotionally detached perspective, regardless of how it harms other people. Well, in contrast to others, Jeremiah 10, there are some biblical examples of ungodly leaders. Jeremiah 10, for the shepherds, 
have become stupid and have not sought the Lord. Ezekiel 34, 4, prophets are condemned as false and they rule cruelly and tyrannically. In, in Matthew 23, 4, Christ rejects the Pharisees who have laid an overwhelming burden upon the people whom they are supposed to be serving. Sometimes Satan succeeds in his wicked temptations and devices. How is a servant to be restored? How can we, when we realize that our service is less than what it should be and we have not served the Lord like we have been called to, well, we need to look to Jesus Christ, turn our eyes to the coming Christ, as Peter has been talking about in chapter 4 and 5, that Christ is coming again. The end of all things is near, he says. The judgment of the, of, uh, in the flesh is men. That, that's, that's coming We'll give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That day is coming. So shouldn't we be motivated by that? Shouldn't we turn our eyes to Jesus? He's the arch shepherd. He is the the, the chief shepherd. All leaders are subject to Christ, but leadership is under him and under his name. And we'll give an account to him. Shouldn't he find us being faithful servants of the living God, voluntarily serving, eager to do the work of ministry? How could we be so eager to spend ourselves? Well, there's a reward. And when the chief shepherd appears, verse 4 says, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's a reward. The unfading crown of glory. I don't know what that is. I only know that Peter says, look, when you serve the Lord faithfully in this world and you faithfully shepherd the people of God and the flock of God, God is going to place upon your head a crown. The Son of God will place upon you a crown, an unfading crown of glory. What is that except something that's reflective of him. It's not something that will reflect our own intrinsic glory. We have no glory. But rather some recognition of Jesus Christ and his glory and his pleasure in you. If it pleases the Lord, shouldn't we be eager to do what pleases him? Secondly, you younger men, be subject to your elders. These next two points are briefer than the first. Why single out younger men? I'm 55. I still kind of consider myself a younger man. Why single them out? Well, they're prone to a spirit of pride and independence, I think. A sense that, well, we have all the answers, don't we? We've got it all figured out. How dare you tell me how to live my life? I'm going to live my life the way I please? Don't you tell me what sin is? And don't you exhort and rebuke me about the way I intend to live my life. Well, Peter says, be subject to your elders, brothers. Be subject to your elders. In other words, it doesn't mean let them rule your life, but rather listen to them. Listen to them. Don't cause them to weep over the course of your life, but rather 
cause them to rejoice over the power of God as you serve the Lord and follow their example. Stop holding the opinion that you've got it all figured out or that you have a heightened sense of your own inner strength, that you resist authority. And you don't need to be humble. You're a young man who's come into the full flower of your strength and testosterone. No. Be subject to your elders is the command of Scripture. Be subject to your elders. Let them serve and care for you in such a way that they won't weep, but rather that they will rejoice to see Jesus Christ in you and you following them. Be subject to your elders, younger men. Thirdly, all of you, and finally, he says in verse 5, be subject to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Well, we worry in this age about inclusivity and whether or not we exclude certain people groups. Well, the Bible doesn't exclude people groups. It takes them all in and says, all of you. He doesn't delineate amongst males or females. Jews or Gentiles, free or slaves, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't discriminate between any of them. He simply says, all of you, be humble with one another. Clothe yourselves with humility. It's the only use of this particular word in the entire Bible. Clothe yourselves. It's an interesting word. It's used exclusively of an article of clothing, kind of like an apron that a slave would put on. It's his uniform or her uniform. It's basically saying, I'm going to work. It's the, the act signifies that work is going to be engaged in. And so Peter, the word of God, unblushingly always refers, well, often refers to believers as the doulos, the slaves of Jesus Christ. We are bondservants of the Lord. Our lives are not our own. We have been bought with a price. And so we should unashamedly say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm a child of God. Yes, I'm a, I'm a slave. I'm a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I belong to him. He has bought me. I'm, I, I will always be his. And he is altogether so lovely and glorious in all that he does. I will willingly serve him all the rest of my days. So Peter says, well, strap on your apron and get to work. For the same reason that Jesus Christ did the same for you, do it for him. I know we we live in an age where language is heightened and words have their deep meaning and also the imposition of new meanings by society and culture that is heightened uh, in their their arrogance and their pride, but also in their their sensitivity to new words and old words. But the truth is that we are bondservants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the service that we're called to is in no way extraordinarily above and beyond what Christ did for you and for me. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, what did he do? He humbled himself by becoming a man. He took to him, as we confess this morning, he took to him from Mary's body, a fleshly body from her own, like her own, and subjected himself to all the pains of death and of the judgment of God and of the grave. And he lived humbly, and he was born in a low estate, and he submitted for three, well, for 33 some odd years, 
from from infancy to death to the will of his God and our Father. And he calls us to walk in his way. It's an exhortation to us this morning to do nothing in service for our fellow believers, that we are doing nothing in service for our fellow believers if we're not serving one another and approaching, considering leadership and serving when we are leading in a godly way. So humility. We are to put on, we are to put on humility. Clothe ourselves with humility. What is this? What does it really mean to be humble with one another? Well, it means that it doesn't mean that we're, we falsely deny, you know, when we are gifting or when we do do something well and someone praises us. Oh, no, it's it's all of God. Yes, I did do a wonderful job, but it is all of God. No, it's it's not that it's not false humility. It's 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 true placement of other beings. God himself and our brothers and sisters in Christ and your needs and his calling above our own. Mothers know what this this is like. What do they do? Well, when their child is hungry, they put their supper plate down and they go and make sure that their child is fed. When when their child is hungry, infant is, is hungry during the night, what do they do? They awaken from their sleep. They immediately feed their child and nurse them, put them back to sleep, make sure they're okay and well. And when the child awakens again in another hour or two, the mother will awaken again and make certain her child is fed. There is a new diaper. She knows what it is to place, to, to make certain that her children's needs are met before her own. That's humility. Fathers know what this is like when they go out and they work and they work very hard for their families and they realize that their knees are wearing out and one day they're going to need a new hip and and their sight is failing from all those years of doing this, that or the other thing in employment. And yet they go on serving and they go on helping their children and providing for their families because they've placed the needs of their families above their own. It's not a very good father or mother who places their own needs first. Well, that's what humility is. And Peter says that's what we owe to one another. We're to put on the clothing of humility toward each other. And so we are, we are to willingly set aside our needs and to make certain that the other needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ are met first. And that we are not to parade amongst the church and in such a way that we want others to praise us, but we are to do so in such a way as we exalt the others more than we do ourselves. God's position is clear. In fact, there are very few things that we are told in the scriptures that God hates or is opposed to. But he quotes, Peter does in verse 5 from Proverbs, for God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I've heard one of the Puritans say, just by way of, reiteration that God has two hands he has one hand that is a hammer to oppose the proud and he has another hand that lifts up the weak and the humble what hand are we in need of from God God is opposed to the proud are you proud are you prideful this is the month of uh, pride month this is pride month February Uh, Pardon me, I don't even know where I'm at. Uh, June. 
This is Pride Month. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's why we really don't have to fight too hard in our cultural battles. Ultimately, the issue is with the Lord. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride, regardless of what kind, it, what form it takes, whether that's homosexual pride or whether that's just the simple, quiet pride that we excuse in our own minds when we come in and we want to be praised and recognized and others to see us. And we want to take from others the approbation and the adulation of all those around us. Well, social media is built on all of that kind of stuff. Well, we're to cultivate humility. And so what that means is I need to annihilate my pride, set it aside and not seek it. Not be proud in all my dealings. Rather, to acknowledge that all that I have by way of skill and gifting and time and stewardship is from God. And I shouldn't take pride in what has been given to me as a gift. Rather, I should take pride in my God and give thanks to him and rejoice over him and speak well of him. And when someone tells us we've done well, to give him honor, praise and glory. Pride invokes God's anger. It steals his glory. It makes pride-filled people his enemies. So set aside pride and embrace, put on, clothe yourself with humility. I want to also encourage you this morning by way of application to consider service and calling. If we really follow the example of Christ, should we not in some way at the very least consider what does the Lord Jesus Christ want me to do with my time? How does the Lord want me to use my days? How am I using my days, my time, my extra time at home, to in some way minister to the body of Christ, to serve the Lord, to magnify his name, to display to the world and to remind myself that I belong body and soul to my faithful creator. What am I doing? I can't in any way justify myself by my works before God, but if I'm a child of God, my justification will be fruitful. I will bear fruit in the name of Jesus Christ. So what am I doing to serve the Lord? Follow the example of Christ. He's given us an example. And now he calls to us to do what he has done. I want to also challenge each and every one of us as we conclude. If you are serving in the church and you're serving the body of Christ and you're serving in some way, dear brothers and sisters, do it well. Don't be late. Don't be chronically late. Don't walk into the prayer time at five after the hour or right at 10 o'clock. Come five minutes before so that you can pray. And at 10 o'clock exactly, you can start praying and pray for 15, 20 minutes. Don't come late and make it so that everyone, as we come in for worship, we're distracted because everyone's hurrying and running to get things done, to get seated, to put themselves into the proper place, uh, to hand out bulletins and all those other things. Thankfully, we have wonderful people who open the church, do it well, and close the church and do it in a timely way. I'm thankful for that. But keep that motivating you nonetheless in your own mind that you should serve the Lord, open the church, close the church in an an unobtrusive way, mindful of the fact that what you're doing is for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ 
to be enabled to worship God without distraction and with all the aids that we have, that you provide and help put out each Sunday, which are a blessing. But dear friends, when you come to Bible study, when you log in, when you, when someone is in need of a meal, when you're praying for someone, do it in a timely way. Don't delay. Don't be late. Don't give what's left over to the Lord. Prepare on Saturday for Sunday. Prepare on Saturday so that Sunday morning everything is ready. All you have to do is take things where they need to go and you can be there on time. It's funny, we all manage to get up early for our jobs. Seven, eight, nine, six, five. Whatever the timing may be, we're on time. We plug the, 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 the clock and we make sure that we're on time and not late. But somehow it's acceptable for church. And yet, your, your judge will not be your boss in the last day. Your judge will be the Lord. And the Lord is able to rightly discern and judge whether or not you have loved him unhesitatingly, eagerly, voluntarily, whether or not you have served in the same capacity and have delighted in serving him and submitting to his will, and putting on the clothing of humility, considering the needs of others more highly than you do your own. May God help us to serve him faithfully each day until he comes and the shadow flees and the morning star rises in our hearts. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word this morning, which challenges all of us. I know in some respects I am cut to the heart the Lord's stewardship, the use of time, the eagerness in my own mind and heart, compulsion versus doing voluntary work, serving the living God, delighting to do the will of God. Oh Lord, help us to serve you, to not let another day go by without taking up in some way, some calling to service, to ministry, to the use of our gifts for the body of Christ. Oh, Lord, none of us lacks ideas or opportunities, really. We are a small church, yes, but that means there are plenty of opportunities for us to serve, to lead, to take up ministry in some way, to say, look, I have gifts in this particular area in my life. I'd like to use them in the service of the kingdom of God. Pastor, elders, tell me how to do it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful in service. Lord, to some degree, we must ask the question, is the church growing? Yes, numerically, but also spiritually. Am I contributing to that growth in the way that I'm serving the body of Jesus Christ? Am I serving the Lord? Am I prepared to see the Lord and to give an account for the totality of my life? Lord, help us as Job to stop looking at worthless things, to stop wasting our time. Oh, Lord, turn back the sins of laziness, the love of power and of gain, and help us to serve you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you open with me in our last hymn to hymn number 465, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling.